Chapter 2 of Penelope's English Experiences. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maria Therese. Penelope's English Experiences by Kate Douglas Wiggin. Chapter 2 The Powdered Footman Smiles. Salamina is so English. I can't think how she manages. She had not been an hour on British soil before she asked a servant to fetch in some coals and mend the fire. She followed this anglicism by a request for a grilled chop. A grilled chump chop, waiter, please. And so on from triumph to triumph. She now discourses of methylated spirits, as if she had never in her life heard of alcohol, and all the English equivalents for Americanisms are ready for use on the tip of her tongue. She says conservatory and observatory. She calls the chambermaid Mary, which is infinitely softer, to be sure, than the American Mary, with its overlong A. She ejaculates, quite so, in all the pauses of conversation, and talks of smoke rooms and camisoles and luggage vans and slip bodies and trams and mangling and gophering. She also eats jam for breakfast, as if she had been reared on it when everyone knows that the average American has to contract the jam habit by patient and continuous practice. This instantaneous assimilation of English customs does not seem to be affection on Salamina's part, nor will I wrong her by fancying that she went through a course of training before she left Boston. From the moment she landed you could see that her foot was on her native heath. She inhaled the fog with a sense of intoxication that the east winds of New England had never given her and a great throb of patriotism swelled in her breast when she first met the Princess of Wales in Hyde Park. As for me, I get on charmingly with the English nobility, and sufficiently well with the gentry, but the upper servants strike terror to my soul. There is something awe-inspiring to me about an English butler. If they would only put him in livery, or make him wear a silver badge, anything, in short, to temper his pride, and prevent one from mistaking him for the master of the house, or the bishop within his gates. When I call upon Lady de Woof, I say to myself impressively, as I go up the steps, you are as good as a butler, as well-born and well-bred as a butler, even more intelligent than a butler. Now, simply because he has an unapproachable haughtiness of demeanor, which you can respectfully admire, but can never hope to imitate, do not cower beneath the polar light of his eye, assert yourself, be a woman, be an American citizen. All in vain. The moment the door opens, I ask for Lady de Woof in so timid a tone that I know Parker thinks me the parlor-maid's sister, who has rung the visitor's bell by mistake. If my lady is within, I follow Parker to the drawing-room, my knees shaking under me at the prospect of committing some solecism in his sight. Lady de Woof's husband has been noble only four months, and Parker, of course, knows it, and perhaps affects even greater hauteur to divert the attention of the vulgar commoner from the newness of the title. Dawson, our butler at Smith's private hotel, wields the same blighting influence on our spirits, accustomed to the soft solicitations of the negro waiter, or the comfortable indifference of the free-born American. We never indulge in ordinary democratic or frivolous conversation when Dawson is serving us at dinner. We talk up to him so far as we are able, and before we utter any remark, we inquire mentally whether he is likely to think it good form. Accordingly, 
I maintain throughout dinner a lofty height of aristocratic elegance that impresses even the impassive Dawson, towards whom it is solely directed. To the amazement and amusement of Salomina, who always takes my cheerful inanities at their face value, I give an hypothetical account of my afternoon engagements, interlarding it so thickly with countesses and marchionesses and lords and honorables, that though Dawson has passed soup to duchesses, and scarcely ever handed a plate to anything less than a baroness, he dilutes the customary scorn of his glance, and makes it two parts condescending approval as it rests on me. Penelope Hamilton, of the great American working class, unlimited. Apropos of the servants, it seems to me that the British footman has relaxed a trifle since we were last here. Or is it possible that he reaches the height of his immobility at the height of the London season? And as it declines, does he decline and become flesh? At all events, I have twice seen a footman change his weight from one leg to the other, as he stood at a shop entrance, with his lady's mantle over his arm. Twice I have seen one stroke his chin, and several times have I observed others, during the months of July, conduct themselves in many respects like animate objects with vital organs. Lest this incendiary statement be challenged, leveled as it is at an institution, whose stability and order are but feebly represented by the eternal march of the stars in their courses, I hasten to explain that in none of these cases cited was it a powdered footman who, to use a Delsartian expression, withdrew will from his body and devitalized it before the public eye. I have observed that the powdered personage has much greater control over his muscles than the ordinary footman with human hair, and is infinitely his superior in rigidity. Dawson tells me confidentially that if a footman smiles, there is little chance of his rising in the world. He says a sense of humor is absolutely fatal in that calling, and that he has discharged many a good footman because of an intelligent and expressive face. I tremble to think of what the powdered footman may become when he unbends in the bosom of his family. When, in the privacy of his own apartments, the powder is washed off, the canary seed pads removed from his aristocratic calves, and a scarlet and buff magnificence exchanged for a simple negligee, I should think he might be guilty of almost any indiscretion or violence. I, for one, would never consent to be the wife and children of a powdered footman, and receive him in his moments of reaction. End of chapter 2